0: Tell me this story of you guys lining up weeks before the race. I didn't. I didn't know about this. Uh,
1: I normally get a uh, a call or a message, and it's a mad scramble. Hurry up, get the RV, get it in line as fast as possible. And normally we're the uh, definitely inside the top five.
0: So you Sebring fans show up a month before the race to get the best spot by the fence. Absolutely, first come, first serve. So February 2020, you guys lined up weeks before the 12 hours of Sebring. That would be yes, correct.
2: Yes, we did.
0: How'd that work out? And now for Dinner with Racers, presented by Continental Tire. With your hosts,
2: Ryan Eversley and Sean Heckman.
0: Placeholder Radio sound. <laughs> oh, I'm a driver. I'm oh. very angry. It's the sound of a driver on the radio during a race. What do you think I should call it? And welcome. To dinner with racers, 2020 edition.
2: Oof. 2020 edition. Oof. <sighs> Big oof.
0: I am. Uh, I'm Sean Heckman, and I am with a very socially responsible Ryan Eversley. How are you, Ryan?
2: I'm. I'm doing great, Sean. And it's so great to be sitting right next to you, six feet apart.
0: Exactly six feet at a minimum away from each other. We might actually be 3,000 miles away from each other. Who for right,
2: who knows, who knows. And, and you know, the, the reality of it is, is that normally you have to sit next to me like all all year, you know, doing stuff. And this year we were able to condense this trip into about six weeks where we drove 15,000 miles. But then you've had to see my face on editing every day. So you're probably still ready to punch me.
0: Hey, you know who I want to punch more than you? Is my own face. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to hate your weight gain, try editing a show where you eat all day.
2: Yeah, yeah. But enough about us.
0: So uh, for those of you who uh, haven't been paying attention to the news at all this year, there was there were some changes. Uh, and, uh, of course, we weren't able to do a whole lot in the spring. Uh, hopefully some of you participated in our Thursday Night Blunder series. Uh, but there was a very, very narrow window of time towards the end of May where it was looking like we might be able to get out and do some traveling in June. However, there was also Ryan's racing schedule coming up, uh, in July. So, what dumb decision did we make, Ryan?
2: Why don't we just fit this all in as quick as possible in that small bit of time we have left before racing resumes?
0: So we took a six-week, 15,000-mile journey all around the country, and we did actually do it very responsibly, to learn about the pandemic.
2: When Sean says we drove around the country, he literally means we went from Atlanta to Chicago, back to Atlanta, stops along the way, all the way to Oregon, to Montana, to Road America, and then back to Atlanta. We literally drove around the country. But that was how we thought the only way we could really see what all the racetracks and people in motorsports that we talked to were going through during this pandemic.
0: Now, having said all of that, guess what this was all for? Not only is it, of course, a series of podcasts, but uh, Ryan, this is also available in uh, what they call the visual medium.
2: I think you mean Prime Video, courtesy of Amazon. Sure. Okay. So you can watch season one of Dinner with Racers on Prime Video, and now you can watch season two.
0: If you go on Amazon Prime right now, there are, in fact, new episodes uh, to debut our season two. And there's going to be more episodes to come. But for now, you can check out uh, this big road trip we took to understand the pandemic. And here's the thing, some people might hear about this and go, oh God, not another COVID thing, uh, because that's kind of what we thought when we started it. But we had a very specific question in mind.
2: When I explained this episode to people that were asking what we were doing, I said, teams come and go, drivers retire, but without racetracks, we can't race. What are these racetracks gonna do during COVID-19.
0: So we could just have done, you know, a bunch of Skype calls, but that's not how we do. So we physically took ourselves to a whole bunch of different racetracks across the country to get a handle on how this works. Just like our podcast, we didn't want to just focus on one type of racing or one type of racetrack. We wanted to see road courses. We wanted to see ovals. We wanted to see big tracks. We wanted to see family-owned tracks. And I don't know what you think, Brian, but I I thought we got a pretty good little cross-section.
2: I now know more governors names of different states than I ever
0: thought I would. So before you roll your eyes and think, oh, God, not another COVID thing. Just take a listen, kind of understand what we were trying to do, which is just get an understanding of how racetracks are dealing with it, some of their thoughts and opinions. As always, we try to kind of keep our own stuff out of it, and uh, we figured you'd enjoy just kind of getting this variety.
2: Of course, we couldn't have gotten to any of these locations without a trusty, reliable and safe, what kind of car, Sean?
0: Uh, Well, that would be your trusty 2020 edition of the Acura MDX spec.
2: And after this long trip, I because uh, we put 15,000 miles on it in a very short period of time, I uh, I literally went and got my oil change out a Valvoline Instant Oil Change.
0: Huh. That is interesting.
2: Because they're our new partner, and you need to buy Valvoline. That's marketing. Of course, none of Dinner Earth Racers exists without our biggest, most favorite, awesomest tire company ever. And that would be? Continental Tire. Good
0: enough. Mm, I don't think it is though. Cat Nettle Tire! Cross contact, LX... Tire. <laughs> <laughs> However, before we do any of that, we wanted to meet up with somebody who could maybe give us an overview of the kind of the setting as a whole. And so we figured, why not go to somebody that actually makes a living in politics?
2: So we sat down with Greer Martin, who is a North Carolina House of Representatives rep for District 34, and he's also a racer. So he understood a little bit about what both sides are going through, and he could not have been better for us to really get a lay of the land, especially for me being an idiot, about how this is all working from not only the state side, but from the people trying to run businesses side.
0: Now, the thing that we love about Greer is he's familiar with our show. He already knew what we were going to be all about. But between being a racer, but also living in North Carolina, which is in terms of political landscape very mixed therefore uh, he's got a pretty good cross-section of the different agendas and thoughts that are out there and it's racing I don't know if you knew this but there's a little bit of racing that goes on in North Carolina
2: so one thing we need to point out here is that we tried to buy dinner and uh, Greer flatly refused that because it could be seen as a bribe is that is that how he put it were we bribing Greer Martin with food
0: sort of there's a little bit of a condition for uh, people that work in government and of his nature that uh, accepting paid lunches and dinners is against the rules.
2: And it was weird because we, we handed him a turkey stuffed with $100 bills, and he just wouldn't take it. So once again, we did not buy the food because Greer would not be able to accept it. So he had friends that owned The Pit in Raleigh, North Carolina, and they delivered some amazing barbecue. If you watch the show once again on Prime Video, you'll notice I am playing with a a plastic pig that came with the meal, and uh, I still have that in my car right now, and the food was phenomenal.
0: I agree. And had a chicken sandwich. Meow. Me-ow. Me-ow. All right, we're going to start in five, four,
2: three, two. So, you're a state congressman? Yeah, member, uh, state representative. Okay. So, what would I, Mr. Representative?
1: Um, God, what... Uh, Representative Martin, Mr. Martin. um, We politicians at the lower level get uh, unnecessarily uptight about our titles sometimes. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. it's (laughs) true. And it's... So um, it's like
0: C-list celebrities in Los Angeles. Very very much so, yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm a
1: a C-list politician. And I think the higher... The higher you get up the food chain, the less you care about title. Right. The more actual influence and power you have, the less you care about what people call you. And when you don't have much influence, it gets more important to you. You better be a sir now. Yeah. Right, right, so, right, okay, right, so are right, we okay right. to look you in the eye? Or? Yeah. Uh, you have to ask permission.
0: Okay. Yeah, it's sure, sort of right. the so Diana, right. Diana, Diana
1: Ross
2: rules. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so we ask Eloise?
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you have to, have to get her permission before anyone's allowed to gaze into my eyes. Mm. <laughs> so... The reason we wanted to sit down with you is that you're a fan of our show, so you Mm. kind of already understand what we're what we are and what we're all about. And yet I still agreed to (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, which that's on you. (laughs) Um This is uh day two of our road trip. And as you know, Ryan and I are about to drive all the way around the country visiting (coughs) big racetracks, little racetracks, road courses, ovals, all kinds of communities. And one of the reasons we thought you'd be a very suitable person to kind of help us get an understanding of what we think we're about to see is that North Carolina is very well divided, not just between yeah, a lot of liberal voters and conservative voters, but also between rural areas, uh, very industrial areas. So you've got places like Charlotte or Mooresville that are, that are kind of big cities and right, rally. Right. Um, so uh, I feel like North Carolina is a pretty good little microcosm of some of the different kind of cultural conflicts that this pandemic is kind of bringing yeah. up.
1: It is. Um, and the pandemic has certainly highlighted a lot of the good in the diversity in North Carolina. And it's also revealed um, some underlying fractures that I think a lot of us wanted to believe we had fixed. Um, I think, you know, the evidence was not there that we'd cured income inequality, racial inequality in North Carolina. But North Carolina has been a state that's always believed in its ability to, pull itself up by its bootstraps from its uh, poor past and invest in education, invest in infrastructure. And you get a thing like Research Triangle Park and great universities and, and think that we're, we're making progress where maybe some other Southern states are not. And, and like I said, the evidence wasn't there to, to declare victory on that, but it, it makes a lot of us feel good if we can say that we we're victorious. And the um, pandemic has been a reminder that we've got such a long way to go. A long, long way to go. The good news is that North Carolina does have the tools to progress. We know how to progress. We're we are we are at a moderate rate. We've never been a uh California or, or Massachusetts at all. But we've always been um moving ahead more than Alabama, South Carolina, Georgia. Sorry, Ryan. What'd you point to me for? <laughs> <laughs> and and so we've got the tools, we've got the ability to do it, but the pandemic has reminded us that it's a long, long journey. Um and that's uh that's painful for those of us who've uh, taken pride in the progress our state has made to see just truly how far we have to go. Right.
2: And if we were to go meet with other state representatives, do you think that'd be the basic? It would be
1: interesting to say, and it would depend on where on the ideological spectrum mm-hmm. they are and uh, urban versus rural at all. If you talk to some of my Democratic colleagues from rural areas, um, you know they could, they'd wanna take you on a drive through their district and show you the mills that have closed down. Um, the uh, schools that are in in disrepair, um, the downtowns that are are all closed up, um, the hospital and the big problem we're having is hospitals in rural areas are closing now also. Um, And they they would paint a a very different picture than the one I paint of great universities and Research Triangle Park with high tech jobs. Um, And I think their sense would be, they might not have as much faith as I do in North Carolina's ability to progress. Uh, folks, maybe further on, on the right on the political spectrum, might even blanch a little bit at the term progress. Um, sounds a little bit too much like progressive. Their idea of progress, um, you know, is is more along the lines of uh, keeping a very business-friendly environment through lower taxes, and they would be while they're um, they are less disturbed perhaps by income inequality than um, than I might be, and so they would. They might tell you that uh, the income inequality that that we see and that that the pandemic is exacerbating um, is maybe a more just a, a natural byproduct of a of a free market, um, and not that that leaves them cold-hearted and unwilling to do anything to help. We passed, at the in North Carolina, we passed a, a several bits of bipartisan legislation that uh, invested a lot of resources in helping North Carolina, helping people of North Carolina through the pandemic. Um, but so they're they're absolutely not without sympathy, but um, they would, I think, tell you that they would prefer to rely on the, the market and the, the course of things to to help move North Carolina forward.
0: Treat us like children for a second. Yeah. So let, let's let's go to elementary school here. Um, Stop playing with your food. Yeah. <laughs> uh, specific to our racetrack trip. You know, if, if we're going to go visit racetracks around the country. And we want to see just what a road course in California has to deal with versus the same thing in Wisconsin versus a short track in Indiana. And in my opinion, those are kind of little microcosms of that business versus government versus where that line is drawn kind of relationship. And so we felt like you might be able to help us get an, get an understanding of that. So forgetting North Carolina for a second, um, knowing two guys like us for going around the country to all kinds of states and all kinds of types of venues in different locations. And we're dumb, and and being idiots. Yeah. Uh, what would what would you hope that we were going to learn from with a trip like this?
1: What what in an economic downturn? What is you know what's the role of government in supporting uh, various industries? Um, you know whether whether it's um, manufacturing or you know, the film industry in North Carolina. Um, or the, the motorsports industry. Um, what is the role of the state in helping support those industries when the economy has tanked?
0: Um, and specifically tanked when a lot of that is at <clears> a, I don't, know, I don't know if arbitrary is the right word, but when there's a lot of questions as to where is the role of government in something like a health crisis. Yeah, certainly. Right.
1: certainly. There, uh, I think it's safe to say that um, from our founding as a country, we've always had a healthy debate on how much government should be involved in in helping out the market and helping out individuals. I um, just finished up the, um, uh, the biography of George Washington, and it made me feel a little bit better because we have been debating this, but certainly, I think the divide between Americans on the appropriate role of government uh, is sharper now. Um, Certainly uh, under the Obama administration with uh, delving into an increased government role in health care, um, I think that certainly uh, um, caused folks to move to their respective side of, of that debate. Um, I, I've seen, though, both at the state level and in, in Congress, certainly a willingness across the aisle that this really is a, a time when government needs to step in. Now, at the federal level, you're seeing... I think that consensus now break down after they've gone through the first few waves of legislation. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, uh, you know, an industry, you know, if you're in a state that has uh, the motorsports industry is mostly just you know small tracks and then the the businesses that sort of feed off off of that. You know, it's one thing. So, if you're in a state like that, um, I think a question would be. Is the motorsports industry even on the radar screen right. of the state government, of the folks that work in economic development sure. for the state? Is it something that they sort of view as a center of excellence, uh, an area that they want to develop? In North Carolina, obviously, it's, it's tremendous. And so we, we know it at the state level. And <clears throat> that plays out in legislation that we've passed that gives NASCAR teams a break on um, uh, jet fuel. For them to travel around, mm-hmm. um, and that's something that there was uh, that was a fascinating issue because uh, you had Democrats and Republicans supporting it, um, and then you had Democrat you had far left Democrats and far right Republicans opposing it on philosophical grounds, <laughs> and they kind of uh, meet. Um, so uh, I would ask folks, what's the presence of the motorsports industry uh, before your policymakers? How aware of it are they? Yeah. There, there's I think there's a lot of factors that go in into a government's decision on um, how to decide when you can go back to racing, when you can go back to having crowds mm-hmm. in racing. There I think there's other factors too. I mean the the virus certainly affects different areas mm-hmm. at different times in different ways. But but from a philosophically different from just uh the appropriate role of, of government in citizens' lives. I think there's also um, Separate, but tied into that, uh, a willingness to trust uh, what the scientists, what the doctors are telling us, which is um, intensified, I think, when we're dealing with a, a disease that has a lot of unknowns, mm-hmm. and you've got one expert in PhD saying one thing, another one saying something that's that's different because we're still learning about the disease. So, um, you know, there's folks that are more predisposed to accept and believe science than others, and here. Even for folks who want to believe the science, it's not clear. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're, you know, if you're a track owner uh, in Wisconsin, and you know your uh, jobs are on the line, people's livelihoods are on the line if you can't fill the seats. And you hear uh, one expert say, um, "No, absolutely not. Uh, people can't be packed together like that." And then you hear another expert say, "Well, if you're outside, we think the sun will kill it." That sort of thing. That tells you, if you're paying attention, that there's uncertainty. Mm -hmm. And I think your thought is going to be, well, if there's uncertainty, let's err on the side of what will keep people employed. Um, But at the same time, uh, I think it's an equally valid approach to say that, well – it's uncertain. So, what's going to be safest to keep people alive? Yeah, right. And so, I, I would think that the you know, the difference between Wisconsin and California, for example, certainly a lot of it's attributable to California just accepting a greater role of government in people's lives and in helping people. In Wisconsin, um, being more more resistant to that. Um, and in California, you know, generally is you know, there's a lot of lot of science going on there, a whole mm-hmm. lot of research. And so, folks in California certainly are. Uh, Probably a little more willing to uh, accept. They they understand that science is not always uh, going to give you a clear answer immediately.
2: Right. I mean have
1: I even talked at all about generally what you're hoping to? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. understand
0: this. We're going to talk for an hour long, a couple hours. And it's going to be 2 minutes <laughs> and then you're like that was it? Yeah, no, so no. Like, no, no, like, no, like no. that's going to no. happen I'll uh, right no. But you'll also be like I didn't know I was that articulate. Like I said like that's how it always works out.
1: So um I don't even watch myself on TV anymore. Uh, yeah. I watch this just cuz I watch Me either. The show. Right. Yeah,
0: <laughs> if you want to uh, if you want to feel terrible about yourself, try going on a road trip where you eat and then edit yourself. <laughs> and just have to stare at yourself frame by frame. And it's you're not um, you know. see the deterioration
2: of your body as you. And it didn't
0: start out strong beginning. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, um, it's not a good thing.
2: So, Ace Speedway is yep. a, a small track nearby. We went there after we heard that they put on an event that had thousands of people yeah. show up, and it didn't look like any social distancing was taking right. place, and it didn't look like anybody was wearing any sort of mask or PPE. And we've heard drivers have gotten sick from being there. And when it went big, they basically said no media can come. And then the governor, Roy Cooper, he said, uh, if you're gonna have an event, it can only have 25 people because of social distancing and all those things. And it's become like a big hoopla. So what do you see being the most likely scenario for a solution between the governor and like a small track, right. like ACE? Right, so um, I think the good news in North Carolina is that uh,
1: Governor Cooper, I think, understands the balance. His approach has been absolutely science driven. Um, And so just an example on the macro level, you know, NASCAR, when North Carolina was trying to figure out when they could go back to racing at Charlotte, uh, the governor and his team sat down with NASCAR and worked out uh, something that would, that would work. You know, NASCAR came forward with a, I don't know, several dozen page proposal on the protocol, safety protocols Mm -hmm. they were going to use. And, you know, I think Governor Cooper understands that you can't expect a local speedway to have the team of lawyers and experts that NASCAR does. but. the the takeaway from that is is that the governor is is very willing to work with an industry and learn from an industry learn Mm -hmm. from a business hey what are your particular needs you know we've we've got racetracks here we've got factories here we've got businesses across the state and each one has a different layout of their workplace Mm -hmm. different needs um you know different interactions with customers and governor cooper's been willing to work with when when those industries have come to him and say hey this is how we're different from the the generic rules and they've been able to hash out uh, a compromise Um, did that with restaurants Um, initially you know restaurants were were closed then they're able to do delivery um, and the restaurant industry worked with with governor cooper's team and they got some rules that really Mm -hmm. made sense protected folks but allowed not not enough business to occur but at least allowed uh, some to occur to tide the restaurants over and so what i hope will happen for example with tracks like like uh, ACE is that the the track management can sit down with governor Cooper's team and say, Hey, here's, you know, here's what our facility looks like. Mm -hmm. Here's what our bottom line looks like. Here's kind of what we need to do to make an event even worthwhile. Here's how many butts and seats we need to make this event profitable. And governor Cooper can have his um, healthcare, his medical experts say, okay, got that. And here's what we need to keep, um, keep everyone who attends from uh, being at risk of spreading the pandemic, whether that's, Okay, every three seats you can have so on, or whatever, um, and that has advantage. Of, you know, I think it's important for I, my guess right now. If you could have gotten an interview with the management yeah. of a speedway, they tell you they feel like they're not being heard. Okay, um, that that the government doesn't understand their business, doesn't understand what their bottom line is and what what their needs are, um, and it, it may be that they haven't been heard yet. Yeah. But if they, I think if they made the effort to reach out to Governor Cooper's team. They're willing to work with uh, ACE just like they are everybody else. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's unfortunate that because of the diversity of business in North Carolina that, you know, we can't go to each individual business or even each industry and say what your needs are. But the the state government's been very willing to work with those that that approach them. And that's not ideal for for ACE at all because they run a speedway. They don't have a lobbyist to navigate state government at all, and
2: we can't expect them to in a state like North Carolina motorsports is obviously a pretty big deal so an industry like NASCAR can get in front of the governor yeah. and it's a known you know thing when we cross the border into Virginia maybe to go to VIR motorsports is nowhere near as big of a deal right. it's probably going to be a lot harder for a track like VIR or some of the small tracks up there to get in front of their right. you know people that need to make those decisions and what you kind of just mentioned about uh, what you just kind of mentioned about a speedway not being heard There's a hundred, there's hundreds of small tracks Mm -hmm. in Charlotte I'm sure they're all kind of having the same, same thing. So to me, it doesn't sound like it's, to me, it almost sounds like it's a priority thing because if I'm looking at it from taking my racing background out of it Mm -hmm. and I'm looking at the big picture of things that need to be solved right now, especially business, maybe small tracks aren't the first thing that comes to mind when there are like grocery stores that are still family owned Mm -hmm. and restaurants that are family owned that are helping a community literally every day mm-hmm. whereas a racetrack might not be so priority
1: yeah yeah certainly the the businesses that touch people every day I mean we've got all all got to go to the grocery store right uh, we only go to the track every month or every weekend maybe in some folks cases yeah um and it, this may tie in a little bit with the urban rural shifts that north carolina and other states mm-hmm. are undergoing north carolina's racing tradition you know, as you know probably all in america started moonshining it was a rural tradition yeah um North Carolina is a little bit different, and I'm definitely um, getting a little off topic. But North Carolina is different in that we've got Charlotte, our biggest city, you know, is a center of NASCAR, and we've got the Speedway there. Yeah. So you know, I was born and raised in Charlotte, growing up there. You know, NASCAR was something that transcended urban rule, um, all income levels. Yeah. Um, in a, in a way that maybe the smaller tracks don't as much. Um, so yeah, it's it's. We we do have a North Carolina Motorsports Industry mm-hmm. Association, North Carolina Motorsports Association, that represents the industry, state government, that sort of thing. But their focus in North Carolina, and and I think Virginia's got a comparable organization. Okay. But in North Carolina, it's certainly uh, NASCAR is the 800 pound gorilla, in sure. that. and they're you know, it's not that they're not looking out for the short tracks, but they they suck all the all the attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, the only way you know in, in politics we're confronted with. Different industries, different businesses, um, who have interests in, in state government because mm-hmm. what we do affects affects their business. Right. And for you know, th- there's models where you've got you know, the, the big companies like NASCAR, you know, Walmart, whatever. Yeah. You know, they can, they can they don't need an association necessarily. Sure. Th- they can come and take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. But where we've got uh, industries you know, where it's mom and pop grocery stores, um, you know, they uh, have had success where they've been able to band together. Right and talk about their interests, come to some agreement, pull some of the resources um, to try to get their voice heard okay. in the General Assembly. Um, again, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit. So again, <laughs> You're fine. You're fine. You know, feel free to uh, yeah. steer me to That's our problem later. <laughs> create more headaches for y'all in the editing room. <laughs>
2: we could just have you say, no, <laughs> no <yes. laughs> next no. comment no. or next question. <laughs> well, as a politician, it depends. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great question. Let me answer it by asking you this question. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What does it mean to you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you think? No. <laughs>
0: to Ryan's place, a, a place like Ace doesn't have lobbyists like you've said. They're not necessarily a, uh, may not get the first phone call in the way that NASCAR would. Right. But at the same time, as I understand it, um, you guys moved into a next the next phase a couple of weeks right. ago where there was a little bit more allowance of people to get together and our job is not to necessarily make a political opinions or statements, but one could argue that they maybe took advantage of that a little bit by having this massive event that went far beyond what they were supposed to be allowed to do. Right. That doesn't help your case in my opinion ever. Uh, no, I don't know if you agree with that, but no, I
1: think you're right. The, it seems to me that most States and North Carolina certainly has been tried, has attempted to take, um, a light handed approach as much as possible. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Um, recognizing that that people are worried about their health they're worried about their jobs already that it's not the time if there is ever a time for the the, the government to come down heavy-handed and say um you can only have uh 25 people and right. we're going to send we're going to encourage right. law enforcement to go out and actively words,
0: enforce that here's the yeah. guidelines but we're not going to be putting people in jail necessarily right yeah.
1: right right, right. yeah you know, one you know, that that costs money right. um to pay the police and to put folks in jail right. and two it's um It's not what Americans need right now, we're hurting. um, And uh, we need the government there supporting us and keeping us safe. And so Governor Cooper's approach, and most other states I think are doing this also, is to set the rules and say, these are the rules and you're expected to go by these rules to keep your fellow citizens safe. Um, Be an adult about it. Um, uh, We're giving you responsibility to police yourselves um, live up to that responsibility. There's trust and that, you know, government should be able to trust its citizens. And I think for the most part, we, we can, you know, Ace Speedway doing what they did, holding that event with people packed in based on what I saw in the pictures. Um, uh, they didn't live up to their, their responsibility, you know, and you, you know, it, you would hate to have a government see enough of those incidents to where, gosh, we've got to, we've got to send police in to every time we hear there's going to be an event, we've got to, uh, you know, have police there counting bodies and out there with a the tape measure that, that's not what anybody wants to happen so the way we've worked it in north carolina is the government is, is um as it should is giving north carolinians responsibility um and for the most part they've they've lived up to it you, you'll always be able to find exceptions and Ace speedway is an exception folks crowding the beach has been a little bit of exception too but that doesn't um negate the fact that overall we've lived up to the responsibility and i think uh for the, and where where businesses have felt that um, they're getting the short end of the stick or that um, they could use a little more responsibility, um, the state government's been willing to
2: listen to them and talk to them and try to come up with an arrangement that, that works. In New York State right now, you have obviously Manhattan, which is the biggest city ever. And then you have a track like Watkins Glen, New York, mm-hmm. which is upstate quite a bit and a lot farther away from the big numbers that we're seeing from people that are infected or, right. or dealing with COVID. And so some of the comments I've read on the internet are based around why are we being held to the same standards as this big city where people live closer and we have, you know, a big event we put on every year up here or several big events we put on up here. And now we have to kind of be at their, at their guidelines. Right. When it's not really fair. If you look at the amount of people infected, plus, you know, the distance that's apart from where people live, where they shop and all that sort of thing. So how does a, like in, in this case, I know we're speaking, we're asking about, you know, Roy Cooper or governor Cooper, how do you, as a governor, in this case, Roy Cooper's position, dictate something like a Speedway versus Charlotte right, Properly, right.
1: Yeah, and that issue has definitely come up in, in North Carolina, where the more, rural, uh, more sparsely populated counties have said, why do we have to obey by the same rules that right. Raleigh and, and Charlotte are? And um, there is certainly an argument that uh, a more tailored approach um, makes sense. Um, at the same time, you have to account for the fact, you know, we don't have, um, we don't shut off the borders at county lines, the virus doesn't stop at the county lines. And in a city like Charlotte, you know, Mecklenburg County, people are commuting in from several counties out, you know, from Anson County, two counties over um, to work in Charlotte. And so what happens in Charlotte is going to end up in, in Anson County. And the biggest concern is, okay, Charlotte, Raleigh, we've got lots of hospitals. We've got a lot of hospital space. So overall in North Carolina, we have not exceeded uh, our uh, intensive care uh, capacity yet. Um, most of that capacity is in the urban areas. So yeah, it's the, it's not as likely to spread as much in more sparsely populated areas, but it's going to get there. And when it does, again, going back to rural hospitals closing in North Carolina, they don't have the medical, the hospital capacity to take care of the smaller number of cases that they're going to have. So the impact of something like this pandemic on the rural areas Has the potential to actually be more devastating than it is in urban areas. Um, So we've, um, just because it's, you know, what happens is it it starts in the major metropolitan areas and then can work its way out. And we're
2: already, unfortunately, at this time, starting to see that in North Carolina. So it seems to me that if it's in these smaller areas, the problem would be that, and I'm just going to say what you said back. (laughs) I went to school with a bunch of
0: those guys. (laughs) Kind of of what I do for a living.
2: (laughs)
1: All right, I've, t- I've taught you to do that. Can you teach me how to race?
2: Yeah, all right <laughs> I'll that'd be great.
0: So, I kind of want to go back to school a little bit. Um, the way I see it, specific to the pandemic, um, especially with something like a racetrack, you kind of have three tiers of government. You have things at a federal level, a state level, and a county level. Yep. Um, we'll use a speedway as an example. Break down to me the role of the federal government, the state government, and the county in the last two weeks. From so basically we we moved into it we north carolina moved Mm -hmm. into a new phase where you were allowed to have slightly larger groups or or things of that nature um leading to what we had at a speedway so if you don't mind just kind of take me through like does the federal government have any role in that at all and then the state and then what is the county's job within that gotcha
1: all right go go back to school um i'm just a bill yeah that's kind of what i'm like (laughs) imagine this is a children's book for like i don't know should we sit on the floor (laughs) that's right (laughs) circle time let's do this yeah (laughs) so um uh america is you know, distinct from um a lot of other countries in the world is has a strong federal system meaning that the federal government is um relatively weak uh with regard to the state governments uh we do have you know again over the centuries the federal government's become gain more influence with regard to states but still under our constitution from 200 plus years ago the states have significant power um we're very close to being autonomous so at the state level in my job i deal with Every issue that the federal government does, with the exception of foreign policy and, and defense. In another country, the local governments or the, the equivalent of state governments, there would be a more clear division. The federal government handles this issue. The state handles these issue these issues. But in our system, it tends There's a to There's a lot of crossover. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and we're it, it intermeshed with each other. Yeah. Um, it, disasters, pandemics, emergency management is an even more interesting area but the government the federal government's role there generally is to uh, support the states and then the state's role actually is, tends to do more to support local governments so we, we have hurricanes in north Carolina quite a bit um, so in a hurricane the federal government fema um, uh, is more a coordinator and a provider of resources generally it'd be the uh, state government um, working with fema to get those resources into the state but then it's actually even at the county tends to be at the county level where the rubber meets the road because you tend to have more of uh, your first responders at the county level the state doesn't have a ton the federal government doesn't doesn't have too many they're all mostly uh, county level assets okay Yeah, you know, the state does have highway patrol state bureau of investigation national guard that sort of thing but the state's job even then is to support the pandemic's different than a hurricane but it still follows that principle and that the federal government um main role we would have thought the federal government's main role was to provide from the stockpiles of protective equipment that Mm. apparently they didn't have um way to be apolitical
0: (laughs) uh, and to be fair there's
1: there's there's blame across the political spectrum for that one absolutely uh it is not the federal government's role to dictate um uh what sort of quarantine there is right Um, that's a power generally reserved for the states. So
0: racetrack, restaurant, barbershop, federal government has no role in whether or not we can yeah. have no people, 50 people, or whatever right. that is up to the right. state.
1: Okay. There, there, you know, the federal, if Congress chose, they probably could uh, pass certain laws on that. They would not be received well at the state level. It's generally been a prerogative of the governors and the state legislatures to do all this. So in North Carolina, the, the system we've had, and I think most other states have taken this approach, is that the state government has... Set the threshold for you know how many people can gather at a time, mm-hmm. um, you know, and what the face covering requirements, et cetera, right. are. In North Carolina, um, the counties and cities are allowed to have stricter regulations if they choose. Okay. So it, it's a floor that they can't go below mm-hmm. that the state has set, but they're allowed to add stricter requirements. Right. Requirements, and you see some diversity in North Carolina on that. Uh, liberal city like Durham is you know I think uh, mandate considering mandating masks for everyone. Um, and going much stricter, whereas a lot of a lot of counties have just left it at.
0: So North Carolina can have a no mask policy, or we'll use an easy number, like a let's say a 50 person capacity in any venue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and no county can say, well, no, we're only going to allow 25. Right. Yeah, but right. any county can right. then say, well, we're going to have 75 yeah, or whatever.
2: Exactly. Okay. So we learned math.
0: So we learned math. Okay. So okay. So now. So now that we understand.
1: One other, and this is yeah. in the weeds, but no, no, That's, please, um, we'll decide that. That's right. <laughs> You'd edit it right out all right producer Greer. yeah I mean, the, I mean this this is not even all that interesting to me
2: <laughs> stop right
1: there that's right that's, right, that's right end so, of episode yeah in in some states the the system that's how the episode ends. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, it's, it's all boring, guys. Of, of Sean and Ryan falling asleep and <laughs> snoring. <laughs>
0: well, you don't know is that you're talking, but we're cartoons over here. <laughs> Just listening like children. M- oh, m- huh? Mooning me. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: the relationship between the state and municipalities differs throughout the states also. North Carolina, the state has all the power. The municipalities are essentially a creation of the state. They're not allowed to do anything that we haven't granted them power to do. Okay. Other states are different. Um so we have granted the counties extensive authority in disaster management and that sort of thing. Um but that would vary state to state. Okay.
0: So back to so at A Speedway. So no, no no but like, like I asked for that. So yeah, yeah. So a few weeks ago North Carolina as a state, and this has nothing to do with the federal government, mm-hmm. moved, moved into their next right. phase, which slightly relaxed some of the guidelines yeah. on the ability to gather, the ability to, uh, you know, to, to go to a restaurant or, or church or whatever. So relative to something like A Speedway, where does that start with the state and where does that start with the county?
1: Right. So um, I don't know if Alamance County has um, added any rules of their
0: own on top right. of- And to be clear, Alamance County is not your district. So right, this isn't right. necessarily yours. Right. Yeah, right. Right, 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 right
1: um i don't know if they have any have put any additional requirements on my guess would be that they haven't but but i don't know that so yeah it it was a state established rule it was it was a rule that the governor uh through his powers uh set the the general assembly um we have the power if we choose to uh, uh pass a law that says okay um here's the standards and the governor can veto that we're actually that's as we talk right now we're at this at that situation. The General Assembly has passed a bill that um, would allow bars to open and gyms to open. And they just got an email yesterday that the governor has vetoed that. Um, and so, so that, that would be the General Assembly essentially overriding the governor's um, rules. We have the power to do that. Um, but, uh, and the governor has the power to veto it. So what, sometime next week, I'll trot myself into the building and you know vote to sustain his, his veto. Um, so that and that's the interaction between the executive and legislative branch.
0: And that's, I assume, similar to a federal level where a certain number can override. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah, right. okay. yeah, exactly like that. OK, um, so back. To, so so specific to ACE. So the governor basically puts out a decree, especially yeah. because it's a pandemic. I assume there's a certain amount of emergency power he's allowed. Yes. Um, that to, to said, basically, these are the guidelines that you have to stick to on a health level has nothing to do with the state Congress.
1: Um, uh, right. He has the okay. authority at, without us. Right. We, we, to make we, initial. we have given him that authority right. in our state constitution.
0: It, okay. Mm-hmm. So he does that. A Speedway has their own interpretation of how to then turn <laughs> that into an event. Uh, and then they do so. And then a few days ago, the governor clarifies that statement so that there's even less wiggle room right. in how you can interpret the ability to hold on an right. event like that. So if you're the sheriff right. at a county level, what position are you now in?
1: Right, so the sheriff is um, is uh, generally the lead law enforcement officer for a county. Um, and I, I won't bore you with how that interacts with you know, the city of Burlington police, and that sort of thing. But they do have uh, law enforcement authority. They're not the only law enforcement authority. Of course, the federal government has some law enforcement authority, mm-hmm. the FBI, et cetera. Right. But that would be only things that the federal government issues that they had jurisdiction right. over. So generally that wouldn't be, you know, standard criminal law. And so that you know, so the FBI doesn't have jurisdiction <clears throat> over issues like this. Right. Um, the state does have law enforcement agencies, the State Bureau of Investigation, the Highway Patrol, but uh, for the most part, the state is not set up to enforce uh, state laws throughout uh, the individual counties, that responsibility is placed on the county sheriffs and the municipal police departments. Right. So it's an interesting question. Does does the person who's been hired by the people to enforce the law have an obligation to enforce the law? And you know, separate from this particular issue, it's, it's a good issue. If you as the sheriff believe that a, a law or a decree executive order is unconstitutional or otherwise illegal, mm-hmm. what is your obligation to do? Right. And um, there, I I believe, there's a belief out there in parts of North Carolina that the governor doesn't have this authority or that it's somehow unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. No no court has held that at all. Um, But if you're a sheriff who does believe that, what's what's your duty what's your obligation right
2: how willing are you to stick your neck out and uphold the law yeah something you don't believe in yeah and that's in a voted position yeah yeah Yeah. so if you uphold the law and everybody that you're friends with in your town that really wanted to go to a speedway yeah is now mad at you because you're following the rule that was given to you suddenly that you have to basically make sure there's not more than 25 people at an event and you're like (sighs) like that's a that sounds really bad. It's a, it's, it like it's a, it's a, a good fun. recipe to not get reelected as, as sheriff.
1: It, it, yeah, so, exactly. And so, so you hope that the sheriff's making the decision based on a legitimate belief that somehow the executive order is um, unconstitutional as opposed to I want another term as sheriff. Right, um, right. Yeah. So politics and racing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> poli- are there politics and <laughs> <in> racing? <laughs> We're finding <laughs> out. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we're gonna have BOP for candidates. <laughs>
2: <Wow>. <laughs> you did that all on your own. <laughs> that was not prompted. So the track, like Virginia National Raceway, where they rent out the track, you know, to people that can be there and practice social distancing and mm-hmm. pay for the whole place, and that keeps the track, you know, income going. They have that opportunity where, it's like a small track, like an A Speedway or some of these other small tracks that are local, they don't necessarily get rented out for commercials or private testing or schools and things like that. What does that kind of what position does that put them in? Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm, um, I joke with Connie. She thinks I'm
1: joking rather when I say I'm going to file a bill to annex VR into into North Carolina. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, yeah. If you're if you're a small track. Um, uh, your revenue is based on getting butts in seats. Yeah. Um, and you do that by running races and packing as many butts in seats as you can. And that's, that provides great entertainment for people. It's a wonderful part of our economy. So forcing them to shut down puts their business at, at serious risk. In that regard, they're not uh, different from so many other industries uh, across the country. Obviously, restaurants, um, anything that involves significant interaction with, with uh, the public, Has been devastated. The hospitality industry, of course, has, Um, and so the same principles that apply uh, to making decisions that affect those industries apply to the small track industry. I think. I mean, they're going to have their particular um, distinctions. You know, from obviously a track is not a restaurant, um, but the principle is the same. I mean, they're going to be potentially they're at risk of being being wiped out.
2: Yeah. And one thing I would, one thing that comes to mind for me is that when we're talking about small businesses. They, if, whether it's in the realm of a restaurant or a family owned grocery store, especially in the Northern States, a lot of racetracks have off seasons where they don't operate Mm -hmm. and there is no income really at all. And restaurants don't necessarily have that problem. So if we're coming into an off season, which in this case, the pandemic roughly got really going, for shutting down everything around February, March. As they're opening, As the tracks are opening up, yeah. Normally when you would start making some money, season openers are generally <clears> the yeah. biggest attended events because everyone can't wait to get out and go do yeah. something. And now, so not only did they have an off season, which is probably hard on most small businesses, that, were, which is probably hard on most small racetracks, they didn't really get to open up and start making money by bringing in tickets so i could see the urgency from a place absolutely being very very high right now compared to like maybe if this was like six months into the season and then yeah. they had to shut down
1: yeah i guess that does make sense um at the time where they're starred for income because of the off season right um it's it is um it is absolutely at, at the core of every decision that state government is is making now and um there is no clear answer because it is the intersection of uh, economics and uh, medical science, um, and that's not going to produce clear answers as to what the proper course of action. And then, of course, it depends on one's values. How much I- any political decision is going to be? Uh, there's going to be winners and losers, uh, regardless. There's going to be you're accepting in any decision a certain amount of risk. And so, there's a lot. Of, in the end, one's answer to the question on how much you have to shut down an industry is gonna depend on your how, how much risk you're willing to accept. Um, so in the end, I'm, I'm one that believes that if speedways like ACE continue to fill the stands right now at a time when uh, hospitalizations, COVID-related hospitalizations in North Carolina are now on the increase, if they continue to pack folks into the stands, while it's going to put uh, money, much-needed money in their coffers right now to pay their employees to put food on their table. In the end, though, it's going to do two things. One, it's going to put uh, their customers at risk. If enough people die, your business is not going to be good. And and if, if in North Carolina, if this trend in hospitalizations increases and uh, positive tests increases, um, North Carolinians aren't going to want to go to the racetrack. We're going to, that's, that's, we're going to put our health at risk. And so they're just going to end up at the – same place or worse than they would have been. I'm not saying at all that, uh, yeah, they need, they're going to survive. I'm uh, really worried that many, many businesses in North Carolina are not. But we look back to the lessons of the um, influenza epidemic back in at the end of World War One, where the areas of the country that um, uh, stayed shut down longer, generally were the ones that rebounded economically more quickly. Doesn't mean it's gonna happen with, with COVID-19, but I, I do think that's the case here. And so that, that, that's what I believe. But if, if I were a Speedway owner, that, that answer is unsatisfactory because I'm gonna to have to shut down next month. I'm out of business. I don't, doesn't matter if uh, what happens in, in six months. And there's, there's, there's no easy answer for that.
0: Consequence-wise, we'll use A Speedway as our example. When it comes to consequences, there is that potential that you could have a second kind of spark that there's a huge amount of, of uh, there's a huge influx of infected and, and whatnot that plagues the hospitals and then and, and translates out into the rest of North Carolina. Who gets the blame in that scenario? Because I don't know how many people are going to look at a Speedway as a problem right. as much as lack of enforcement on the state side.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, those of us that are hired by the people who solve these problems get the blame and that's what we, that's what we signed up for. Um it's my job to be part of a group that d- makes a decision on this. And if I'm unable to do that, then I'm responsible for it. I should I should I should hear about it.
0: So as a representative <clears throat> in a district, same state, but mm. a district that's it's ninety miles away, mm. do you actually get any blame? Is it all gonna be Governor Roy Cooper?
1: Yeah, it, it well um As far as who deserves blame or who ends up getting it. Who gets it? it? (laughs) We're not, we're
0: not like, all of this is in a fictional world right now. We don't, here in June, we don't know what the consequences of any of these actions are going to be, whether it's economic or in terms of getting sick. Uh, All we can do is speculate and wonder what are some of the consequences and of course, headed into an election year, where does all this lead? Yeah. So, you work at a state level. You're in a district that is relative to, to a story like ACE or even the NASCAR mm-hmm. industry. You're in a district that doesn't have any NASCAR teams. There are no short tracks in your district. Mm-hmm. If there were consequences uh, on a medical level, would that in would that influence your own election or simply the opinion people have on your ability to, to yeah. represent the state?
1: Yeah, I think so because if uh, if if the headline across the state is continues to be hospitalizations increase, and we get to the point that hospitalizations exceed uh, the beds that we have statewide for it, um, then I think right now the mood in North Carolina is that uh, we're on the right path. And if you look at polls, um, that's what the polls say right now. But if the headlines start changing, um, then that is going to change. and in a state like North Carolina, where you've got one party in control of the legislative branch, another party in charge of the executive branch, generally the party in charge, whoever's in charge is going to get the blame. That's sort of how, it, probably how it should be. But if you're looking at things from a partisan lens, well, who's going to get right. blame?
0: Is it the Democratic yeah, governor versus right, Republican Congress, right. right?
1: I think the answer for a lot of people might be that who they blame is going to be viewed through the particular partisan lens. They're already looking uh, at things that folks uh, in the Democratic Party, might look to blame president trump that folks in uh, or or the legislature folks uh, in the republican party will look to blame governor cooper and and who knows what the actual truth of it will be and i wonder if we're almost too partisan to sort it out but you know what do you mean <laughs> yeah but um, today <laughs> in america right. what does twitter think yeah <laughs> but, but this goes back to you know our federal system where there's not there's less central authority in america if you know if you know, dictatorships are pretty efficient. It's never what we want in America. The system we've got devolves power down to the states, but it can result in, um, it's a le- it can be a less efficient decision making process if you've got the federal government that wants to do one thing, the state government that wants to do another thing, or the executive branch that wants to do one thing, and the legislative branch that wants to do another. Um, you know we, we don't want the most efficient government in America because that's a, a dictatorship. We've set up safeguards, the checks and balances that we have. Um, to safeguard a democracy can promote some inefficiency and some trouble determining exactly where the buck stops.
0: We keep hearing about this potential here in June of a second surge. If we do hit a point where hospitalizations start to exceed capacity, what is the likelihood of stronger statewide regulations coming down? And conversely with that, how accepting do you think a public would be? We'll use a speedway as an example. If all of a sudden that area starts getting hit really hard, do you think people will be more sympathetic to the government saying, no, you can't, if they were to stay open. Under all Yeah. Conditions?
1: Yeah. Two things. One, there's be uh, trust in the government that right. they're making decisions in our interest. And, and, and to yet the people have to feel like they're hurt. And as, as I said, I think the, a speedway management probably doesn't feel like their voice right. is heard right now. So why should they trust right a, a government? Um, that they think is non-responsive to them, um, and but if there was a second yeah, surge, no, right? Not. Well, so if you if there's a second surge and you're, um, you know, a speedway owner, or a race fan, uh, whatever, and as a result of that second surge, your neighbor gets sick, your right. cousin gets sick, uh, God forbid, your spouse gets gets sick, then all of a sudden, uh, you know, that's there's not a much trust there involved. You you have tangible evidence that this pandemic's real and it's right. come back.
0: But do you think there'll be accountability within people's kind of own limits? (laughs) What do you mean? So if I'm a Speedway, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's, these are, these are a lot of scenarios that when we start editing in October. We'll, like, well, we know yeah, we're not yeah, using yeah, that because yeah, right. everything was fine. It was totally wrong. Thank yeah. God he asked those second search questions. <laughs> did they ask about the third search? <laughs> Fuck! Like, you know, we, we won't know till October. Or, where of course, is it of course, going?
1: it's it's twenty twenty. So yeah, what do you, the alien invasion? Bill, oh,
0: yeah, well, it's Bill Gates did all of this. <laughs> obviously, <laughs> it's, it's, you know.
1: Did, y- did y'all see him? Um, was well, it Mike Myers' movie? Uh, so I Married an Axe Murder. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, of course. That's yeah. the Pentaveret, <laughs> <laughs> the Queen, the getty's the Pope, the Rothschilds, and the Colonel. <laughs> did not see that coming. I'm, I'm so know. happy we're here. It's just it's the best conspiracy theory <laughs> ever. Um, <laughs> he put, put something <laughs> in his chicken that made you,
2: makes you crave it fortnightly. <laughs>
1: um,
2: sorry, right, well, sorry. No, no, that's fantastic. What about the other side of me that thinks people are tend to be a little bit naive when it comes to, Oh, it can't happen to me. I won't get sick
1: Yeah, because we've yeah.
2: seen a lot of this with like public openings of beaches yeah. that were immediately packed and things like that. And also most racetracks <clears throat> and also the racetracks we're referring to are all outdoor events. Yeah. So the argument could be, well, I'm outside and yeah, you know, yeah. and the heat apparently has an effect on it things like that. The other side of me says from, from what you're explaining that they're going to vote with their wallets, but not everybody thinks yep. that way. You know, they're like, ah, yeah. Cause when you see kids on the news that are at spring break yeah, and then they look at the numbers. And if you look at the, the age and the demographics behind yeah. what this disease is really attacking, it's, it's generally, it's currently kind of hitting elderly folks yeah. and minorities and lower income areas. And I'd say the predominant race fan at a short track is going to be Middle-aged white people, yeah. you know, which are kind of the least affected. So I could see yeah. them saying, "Well, based on the numbers, yeah. I'm not going to be targeted by this disease." <laughs> right. You right. know, so I can see two sides of that, where you know, you might have that thought that, "Well, I'm I'm okay because
1: yeah, I, the the dynamic that I don't think is going on in America is it can't affect me. It's going to kill someone else, so I don't care." Right. I don't I don't think Americans generally think like that. What I do think is going on. I've never seen anybody. No one I know is affected by this. So can it really be that bad? Okay. Um, and to add to that, it's a it's a virus. You can't see a virus with, without a magnifying glass. And so, what we can't see is harder to perceive as a threat. 9/11, we saw the video of the airliners mm-hmm. uh, hitting the World Trade Center, hitting hitting the Pentagon very compelling visual, which made us all uh, afraid of a a terrorist attack, Mm -hmm. and we were more accepting of some uh, significant changes in in policy as a result of what we perceived the threat to be. Several, what, 3,000-ish people died on Mm -hmm. 9-11, a terrible tragedy. Now we've had over 100,000, but it's it's over, not in one instance, it's over a time period, and it's from a virus we can't see. So um, that is certainly a a mindset that's out there, even if you're being told by people you trust that it's that it's serious take it serious Mm -hmm. nothing else is telling you that you don't have the visual you don't have the people you know being affected by it and so um in north you know certainly i think well i guess in new york city where they had huge problems um that most folks in new york city take it seriously now yeah in north carolina so far again because if you need a hospital bed you know, you, there'll be one for you to get treated, doesn't guarantee that you'll survive, but we don't have some of the issues of folks dying at the levels they have in New York, in part because of that. If a second wave changes that, and we do have, you know, uh, refrigerator trucks lining up at the morgues because of uh, the capacity of the morgue has been exceeded, mm-hmm. and we start to get the vigils that will really bring it home to folks that this, this is serious, then the public's going to be um, much more reluctant to crowd crowd the stands we're race fans we're passionate we all want to go to the races mm-hmm. but they're going to understand the real threat to their health and those that they care about uh, health from packing them in like that
2: now more than ever news is being questioned on whether it's fake news yeah. or if it comes from a credible source i know personally when i've been checking updates every day to kind of get my information i immediately look to see what the site is and if i don't recognize it yeah. i kind of just even if it's good news it's like well i can't right. trust that you know um is there a concern from the government side that now more than ever, it's hard to say, no, no, this is real. We're telling you this is real. There's science-based behind it. Don't go out. Don't, you know, believe us when we're telling you this is for your own good. And then adding in that, oh, I'm invisible because I, I don't know anybody that's got it. Yeah. You know, is that a, is that a concern with most things now?
1: Yeah. With, with anything, you know, we're, in government, we're hired by the people to make tough decisions. Mm-hmm. In order to be to be able to make tough decisions, we have to have... The trust of the people, and again, they have to feel like their input matters. And when you've got um, so many other sources of information out there um, telling you here's why you shouldn't trust the government, some legitimate reasons, yeah. some not, that does make it more difficult for us to make the tough but correct decisions that we've been hired to make. Yeah. So it's part of our job to cultivate that trust, build that up, and and earn it, and and hold on to it um, through the easier times, so that when we have to make a tough call, that No matter how we make it, we know it could kill people or it could destroy businesses and destroy people's livelihoods. Mm -hmm. Um, We need to make the right decision and we need to have people trust us that we're making the right decision um, so that they'll go along with it in a way that'll... Be the best for best for our state, and uh, with with good reason. There's y'all may have noticed there's not a lot of trust for elected officials right now in in America. I don't know what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> and, and,
0: and I it. only listen to Alex Jones, my friend. <laughs> that's yeah. it's my only trust. <laughs> yeah. What he in says goes. Wars yeah. God. Yeah. that's right. I, don't think I that's keep right. saying I Can't get the thing. thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: um, you have a very decorated career, not only um, educationally but also you're a military guy. And you strike me as somebody that when you make a decision, you go with it. And you stick to your guns. Now, when we started doing this podcast, that then turned into a TV show. One of the things Sean kind of mentioned was you don't really want to read the comments. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yes. Because it <laughs> might, you know you might be upset or whatever. And I, that's become a rule of mine. Like I interact with people on social media, but yeah. I don't. I ever read it. Like when someone posts, like check out this show. I never click on any of that. Stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to read the one thing I don't like about me. That's, that's true. Right. And that's like, going to no! haunt you. No, and, you're not like that. <laughs> and the my my thing where I'm going with this is like in my own way, I'm like, well, I hope I wouldn't read something that's like, oh, we kept talking about this and go, oh, don't be yourself. And I wonder as a politician, do you find yourself not reading as many articles or things that might change your immediate thought on something? Because you might be influenced to then change your position. Gotcha. Yeah. Great question. A great, great, great question.
1: Ryan. Thanks. Let Thanks, me great. think about this. It's my job to make an informed decision. And it's also my job to evaluate that decision Uh, if the evidence changes or I get new information and revisit and revise the decision if if need be. So it's my job to seek out multiple sources of information, often conflicting sources of information. But that doesn't mean that I uh, seek out all sources of information, reliable sources. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, and it's part of my job. I've been hired to know the difference to, uh, and, and to know that there'll be, that a conflict between sources is not a problem. Uh, it's, I'm supposed to have the brain power to try to sort that out mm-hmm. and, and make my decision. So yeah, you make a decision and you, you go with it and push it and, uh, give it the resources it needs to hopefully bring the benefit that you hope the decision provided, but, um, you gotta be, mili- gotta be willing to admit that you were wrong or that conditions have changed. You were right, but conditions have changed and now you need to go back on your decision. Yeah. Um, but uh, as far as reliable sources, the, the comment section on a newspaper article about me is not not a reliable source. <laughs> <laughs> just a, just well, because we, let me, I got my notes <laughs> here. What they said was, yeah, it's just a, just a way to destroy one's fragile ego. <laughs> what? Said, no no, dif- no, no different from your job. Sean, <laughs> yeah. what's he talking about? Yeah. No idea. Yeah. No. I am a bastard security not in y'all's I don't know why they don't do TV.
0: So. <laughs> God. <laughs> so, the and this goes ways beyond racetracks, but we're here in in June, There, we're right in the nexus of that battle between lives versus livelihoods, Right. and with altering science every week and different media reports and whatnot, it's so hard to make that call as to where that balance yeah. is. Again, you, you can't sit here and say, well, here's the right decision or the wrong decision. What, as it relates to something like a racetrack, which is sort of a microcosm of that small business scenario, is there a process you feel like you have to go through? to make that choice?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, There's a variety of sources of information for elected officials. Um, What newspapers, the media, Mm -hmm. TV news, and so forth. Um, Another source, in my mind, the best source is my constituents, the 85,000 people that have hired me to to work for them. Um, You know, I've got uh, businessmen, doctors, lawyers, uh, mechanics, the full spectrum Mm -hmm. in my district. And there's nothing I appreciate more is when I hear from one of them, when an issue that's coming before us affects them. And I hear from them on how it's going to affect them because, you know, the, the doctor knows more about medicine than I do. The mechanic knows more about mechanics than I do. Um, they can tell me how, what we're considering will affect them. So the news, um, constituents, but then lobbyists. And we, we talked earlier, uh, you know, Charlotte motor speedway, NASCAR can hire a lobbyist, but, but ACE speedway can't afford to hire a lobbyist. Yeah. And to many folks, lobbyist is a a bad word. And certainly, like with politicians, there's lobbyists that give the profession a, a bad name. But at the same time, there is value in having someone who understands an industry, a sector of the economy, and understands politics, and they can come explain their position on the issue to me. My job is to not, though, accept, is to recognize that a lobbyist is being paid to advocate for their side. Their job is not they need to provide me with, I need to trust that they can provide me with accurate information, but they're there advocating on behalf of, of a client. So it's not, my job is to not accept what a lobbyist tells me as gospel truth. It's to listen to it, understand it, consider it. And then he, if there's a lobbyist on the other side or constituents on the other side, whatever, uh, with a differing point of view to make sure that I'm fully informed on both points of view or all three or four points of view mm-hmm. and uh, understand enough to try to come to decision on my part.
0: So there is no rule book, no specific set methodology that said you must weigh this science fact against this jobs report. Yeah. It is up to the individual elected official to say this is what I feel based on the information I've chosen to gather.
1: Yeah, when it, when it comes time for me to push the green button or the red button yeah. on a vote, mm-hmm. I, you know, if I wanted to flip a coin and let that determine the outcome, there's nothing illegal about that. I'll, hopefully I would get voted out of office if I did that. <laughs> but there's right. there's a, a good, one of the best philosophical sessions that I've had with some of my colleagues is... Should we vote, when we as an elected representative vote, should our vote be based on what we think is right, or should it be based on what our constituents think is right, what they're telling us? And some folks who I respect a lot are hardcore, uh, always do what you think is, vote how, what you think is right. And I, I tend to fall mostly in that camp, but at the same time, you know, we are hired by the people to represent their viewpoint. So it's a little bit of a spectrum. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking, okay, I'm going into political philosophy, and I've, I've got to compete against the poster episode.
2: And Yep. Well, that, <laughs> that just made the that, episode. Yeah, that's, our, that's, our, that's, our, that's, our,
0: that's our end of the like, credits and then this. Yeah, <laughs> a... <laughs> Thanks for watching. <laughs> I was just thinking like, the, how the editing would be like, so what's your process? And then we just use, well, I flip a coin. Animated
2: adventure. <laughs> They're not all... D- posters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where's, where's the live by. Where, where's the live by. Not all. I like, can't all be d- posters. <laughs> after title this episode, do you see any overall policy change for the motorsports world after the pandemic has gone and people are remembering the tough times they went through not being able to open doors or sell tickets and things like that? Do you see anything that would change for, not that we expect another pandemic just to pop up, but things of this nature where the economy takes I, a hit?
1: I think it, a lot of it will depend on what form the motorsports industry takes, right? I mean, it certainly... Um, we've seen that uh, virtual race, i-racing is, is viable um, up to a point. Um, uh, Thursday Night Blunder and so forth. Best year um, done
2: I think it. that was the only one they, that was there, right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and um, that it's viable, maybe uh, uh, to a point, to have races at a place like Charlotte Motor Speedway where the TV rights, et cetera, are paying the bills as opposed to just the butts and seats that that's uh, maybe a viable path for, for racing to take. And so how, how government might work to um, deal with any future pandemic or uh, economic downturn, et cetera, you know, w- will depend on how the pandemic has shaped uh, the folks that are actually
2: running the, the racing business. Sure. One of the questions that comes to mind for me is, racing doesn't need to happen, doesn't need to exist in pretty much any form anymore. It's fun. People like it, but if it ended tomorrow, the world will keep turning. How much of a priority does racetrack ownership have in the general world of, in your case, North Carolina, in terms of getting in front of politicians to really say, "Hey, we need help"? Because to me, and I'm a racer, I don't think that the, li- the I don't think that the priority should be very high when it's like, "Well, no, we got to make sure hospitals are staffed and restaurants yeah. are you know staffed and foods are you know ordered and farms are." producing and all that stuff.
1: Yeah. And in, in the hierarchy of needs, yeah. racing is below um, healthcare, food, shelter. Um, but on, on two levels, it's it's on one level, it's, it's desirable because it it's entertainment and in good times and bad, the people need entertainment, need diversions. But um, at the same time, just like any other sector of our economy, it, 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 and particularly in North Carolina, it's a huge provider of jobs. I mean, North Carolina, probably 25,000 jobs in the motorsports industry. So it doesn't matter that you're uh, entertaining us or you're producing a, a good that's for sale or, or whatever it is. You're making a huge contribution to our economy, and it's one that uh, we need we, as a state government, need to nurture and ensure is is still viable as much as possible. Um, you know, if you if people would pay you to uh, hire people to make paper airplanes and go fly them, that makes it an important segment of the economy, even though you're not curing cancer uh, and so forth. One of the reasons that North Carolina has the good economy that we have is the motorsports industry, and so. Um, while it's while the entertainment you provide is not that high on the hierarchy of needs the food that it puts on the table of the mechanic of the driver of the pr guy uh is uh, that's way up on their hierarchy of needs i mean the your, your home uh, is, that's paid for out of the motorsports industry yeah. is absolutely important and so it's, all,
2: it's all tv money that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah we it graduated is. from podcast <laughs> money Put right up there. to tv <laughs> money yeah <laughs> nothing like that politics money yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: We literally just checked our phones while we took a break, (laughs) and uh, we couldn't get into A Speedway yesterday. They're not terribly thrilled with media. Last night was called off due to rain. Um, They're running uh, the the race they were supposed to last night right now as we speak. Um, And when the three of us were discussing it, uh, it's basically on the sheriff to enforce the decree that the governor gave. However, the sheriff's position is elected. Uh, for that specific neighborhood. And uh, it sounds like the sheriff, based on what we're seeing on Facebook, is allowing this event to happen under the guise that <laughs> this is a some sort of organized peaceful, peaceful protest, I guess. Um, we're trying to not be political in this approach, but what, what do you make of something like this?
1: So the, um, in, in my job, I'm elected also, and my job is to pass laws, um, obey the constitution, um, and reflect the will of my constituents. That's in my job description. I think the job description of a sheriff is to in, enforce the laws. Not necess- in, in, Involved in enforcing laws is a certain level of interpretation, but you have to obey the laws. And in this case, the, the law is, is pretty clear on how many people you can have at a, at a time for an event like this. Uh, just because you call something a protest doesn't mean it's a, a, a protest. And particularly if people are paying to buy admission tickets to get into the event. And when you get in the event, there's cars go around the track. It, it's tough to see any sort of legitimate interpretation of the law uh, that allows you to say that it is a protest. Now, if the sheriff uh, believes that, uh, legitimately believes that it, it violates the constitution to um, restrict people from gathering for races, then he should say so and then not enforce that law and accept the consequences. You know, the problem with having uh, an elected position as your chief law enforcement officer in a county is that inevitably there's going to be the temptation to respond to political will as opposed to what the law says. My job again is a little bit different in that it's expected that I reflect the, the public's will. The sheriff's job is to interpret the law and the law here is, is designed to protect the people that have elected him from, from getting sick and uh, getting their families sick. The virus doesn't care whether it's a protest or whether it's a race. Mm-hmm. Um, the virus doesn't care if it's a protest or race or church. Um, you know, I'm, I'm watching races uh, on TV now, virtual races. I'm gonna, Tomorrow I'm going to get up and go to virtual church, sitting in my jammies, probably in, in my bed. I uh, look forward to when I can get back to church in person, get back to races in person and, you know, protesting in, in person, too. Um, so I, 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 I just I, the, the sheriff's job is to enforce the law and to keep his people safe. And uh, I hope that's what the sheriff has in mind, even if he's mistaken in doing it.
0: We've sat on this trip uh, because we just wanted to know what every racetrack in every community was dealing with. And get an understanding of how it might be different from California versus Wisconsin versus North Carolina. Big track, little track. You name it. it's not our place to say whether racing uh, has a significant role in this country or not. That's that's up to the millions of people that live here. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I've always wondered why I wanted to do this trip was just to ask ourselves, is this a microcosm of what's really going on in the country right now? And uh, it almost feels like we have a balance between people who believe in livelihood versus lives, rural community versus urban community, uh, and all those factors in between. When you think about what this pandemic has done to tracks around the country. Is there any larger focus you hope this would bring out?
1: One takeaway is that America is a wildly diverse country. And I think it's kind of cool that our racing culture reflects that diversity. Indy doesn't look anything like a speedway in North Carolina. Charlotte Motor Speedway doesn't look anything like a a dirt track in, in California at all. The fans there don't necessarily look look the same either, so a wonderfully diverse country, wonderfully diverse racing culture um, the virus is affecting uh different parts of america differently uh it's affecting urban differently from rural it's affecting black different than white it's um, you know affecting mountains differently than it is coastal areas and Uh, so it's affecting our racing in so many different ways. It will affect how we're able to hold a race and when we're able to hold a race at Indy versus when we're able to hold a race at Ace Speedway, uh, in Alamance County, North Carolina.
0: Is there any rapid, like, since we're here, yeah? Uh, like yeah. random. We've always wanted to ask politicians. What's
2: what's the scandal that's <coughs> What's the scandal that's going to take you down, and is it us? <laughs> we, 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 we will see. We, we, we will see how the editing how the editing goes. <laughs> or I should say, what is what is the scandal that's going to take you down, and why is it that's us? That's yeah. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so, do you, do you approve of this uh, dinner?
1: I'm Greer Martin, and I approve of this dinner
0: okay I don't I wasn't sold True, again more eyes all right and I'm still looking at yeah. yeah yeah
2: but really more eyes I'm Greer Martin and I approve of this dinner okay a little too much eyes I think yeah too much eyes <laughs> look up and then down yeah and then up again <laughs> do you want this show <laughs> don't answer that <clears throat> I'm Greer Martin and I approve of this dinner all right. All right. Now I approve of this message because yeah. I really think it'd be funny to be like, Have you ever put chips and soda? And <laughs> then it goes to you. You're like, I approve this. like, what is this about?
1: I'm Greer Martin and I approve of this message. Beautiful. Okay. One more time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Greer Martin and I approve of this message.
0: Do you know what you just did?
1: Ended my political career. Yeah. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. Picked up a couple hundred (laughs) fans. Just just tag me on Twitter. Oh, we will. Has
0: has anyone yet in the halls of Congress said "Okay, Boomer"?
1: Yes, because we do. uh, We do have uh, a lot of the last election. A lot of young people got elected. Okay. Okay. And there is definitely a generational divide that I've not seen before oh. i've been in about 15 years and i've not seen
0: it yeah that the kids and, are a-holes <laughs> is that what you just said
1: they are they're, they're feisty and
0: um very political very good job they uh, were elected yes. they're elected
1: to have their own minds and they and they mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. um i would say that they're not fully appreciative of the value that a decade and a half of experience might might bring to the table but um, okay, Boomer. yeah yeah it's it, it has yeah. been said yeah. wow Okay, so I'm not even a
2: boomer.
0: No, I know. That's I don't think people like people accuse us of being Right? Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's just an
2: insult at this point. Yeah.
0: Oh, you know what? Actually, you brought up something that I wouldn't mind getting. This is a real one, but it's a a softball one, but it's a good general. Okay. One of the through lines we keep seeing in this entire travel is the role of government, either whether it's because government needs to come in harder to to keep everybody safe or government has no place with my individual racetrack or whatever. you obviously have met a ton of politicians in your time uh, with varying degrees of agreement or disagreement on their specific policies. But when you go out to set a law, and I know this is a softball question, but when you go out to set a law or or with any of the governors you've met, it, so on and so forth, are the intentions always bad?
1: No. No. The majority of time, the intentions are good. They, they may be misguided, um, but the vast majority of times, uh, the policymakers makers have, have good intentions. They want to implement their vision of what will most benefit their constituents. Yeah. Um, that said, um, money plays a corrupting influence in politics. Um, you gotta worry about, the, uh, certainly policy decisions are driven by concerns about political contributions, um, about whether or not you're gonna get reelected. Um, those do factor in um, and they, they can corrupt the good intentions that people bring bring to politics. Um, and there are, there are certainly structural changes we need to make to reduce the role of money in politics, um, to reduce the influence of political parties, I think, in, in politics. But overall, the vast majority of people I've served with, even the ones that I, whose policy ideas, are, I think, are poorly thought out or uh, potentially disastrous are still there because they're trying to do the right thing. Those, folk, those are folks I can work with and, and work against happily. Um, it's the ones that are there for the wrong reasons. The few, the very few that are there for the wrong reasons that that um, that are not so make the job not so pleasant. I mean, you know, any, any race team you've been on, any company you've worked with, you want to feel proud of being a part of it. Sure. Any army unit I've been a part of, I want to be proud of, um, and the general assembly the same way I want to be proud to be a member of the house of representatives and I'm not ashamed that there are people there who disagree with me um as long as they're there uh, to do to do good their vision of good um the people that I'm ashamed to serve with are the ones that are there just to, for the power or for the ego mm-hmm. uh, or to stay in office
2: do you have to wear a suit every day so yeah, yeah. No, Well, no, no,
1: not a suit We're required to have a coat and tie oh. on And the level of attire is not good
0: I, That's how I actually feel about lawyers And I'm dead serious about this Every huh. time I've gone to like a courthouse Like you always see TV vision of mm-hmm. the lawyer Is yeah, the million right. dollar suit he's right. put together And then you go to like a public courthouse And like, how did that guy pass the bar? Right, <laughs> right, you know what I mean? right Like I just don't understand any of right, this right, right. right. Yes, yeah
1: so, yeah, it's uh, yeah. Court court lawyers necessarily are not the best. Yeah, best dressed folks. Okay. It's all the uh, transactional
2: lawyers, I think. <laughs> okay. So
0: let's get started. Yeah.
2: All right. Uh, We're right. gonna hit record. Yeah. And everything we just said. <laughs> that was just a warm that up. That was a yep. warm up. Yep.
0: <laughs> all right. Up, uh, up well, I would say Continental's got the check, but apparently that's illegal. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. So.
1: It's it just probably not. Uh, probably not. But not just the best. Okay. The ethical so. analysis would be too complicated.
0: Okay. So. Well, we just had dinner, and that's why you need to know. We that's it. It. We had yeah. Continental got us here, yeah, which is in no way affiliated with Greer Martin. Or-
1: <laughs> Continental's got the gas bill. Cut to, I'm Greer Martin. i this
0: message.